Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Sock Takes Pod. We took a little brief hiatus there. Just got a little bit busy with life. You know, life happens, but we are glad to be back and hopefully bringing you more and more podcasts uh, in the future. So welcome to episode 29. I am your one of your co-hosts, Kevin Johnston, KJ, joined alongside my other co-host. It is the one and only sweet baby Aaron Gunyan. Aaron, what's going on, brother? Uh, not much. We're just living life, like you said. KJ, it's good to be on the pod. It feels like it's been a while. It's been too long. I know, man. It's it's only been maybe, what, two or three weeks since our last pod episode, but we've been knocking so many out there in a row. You know, it definitely seems like it's been a you know a couple months. So good to be back, even though it was just a short hiatus, but we're about to kick things back in gear. Before we get started tonight and jump right into the topics, because we've got a lot to talk about, we do have a very, very extra special announcement to make. So you've probably seen us joking about the designated players we've already signed on Twitter. So we've had two of those slots filled. Still got, you know, of course, MLS rules. Those were got good a- signings. Those were yeah, good they signings. were great signings. Um, but we even have a better signing. In fact, you know, if eventually we use some targeted allocation money to buy down one of these DPs, it's definitely not going to be the, this new one we're going to announce. You know, this one is making so much money that they're going to have to remain a DP for a couple <laughs> of years. So we are just thrilled to announce our third designated player signing and our newest sock taker, Piper Gunyan, the daughter of Aaron Gunyan and his lovely life, Lisa. So from the sock takes family and the Indiana soccer community, Congratulations, Aaron, to you and your wife for your beautiful daughter, Piper. And we look forward to um, welcoming her into the Sock Takes family. And hopefully she will grow up and become a soccer addict like the rest of us. So um, tell us about how little Piper's doing. Piper's doing well. And first of all, I'm, I just want to make sure we're all aware of your MLS shill status. You are throwing in some MLS lingo that I just, I'm not up on. What's this, TAM stuff, designated player, DP slots, one, two, and three? Listen, you've got this stuff down. Piper is doing well. I'm not going to confirm that Jill Ellis of the U.S. Women's National Team has has called in an, an interest in Piper yet, but I, I can't deny that, but I'm just saying the phone's ringing off the hook right now. <laughs> There's a lot of interest you know, if you guys want to make your offers, you're welcome to. You're going to have to get in line. How does that work if uh, Piper's already a DP for Sock Takes? Moving on, the, she's a, she's got some strong legs, I got to tell you. Yeah. She might be a lefty, which is good for us. Um, you know, that, that's an MLS conundrum because what do you do? You know, she's a ho- she might be a homegrown signing. So what do you do if yeah. you have a homegrown signing who's also good enough to be a DP? So. You know how uh, MLS loves to make up the rules as they go along, so we'll have to uh, check in on the rule book there on that one to see how that works. But uh, yeah, we're Again, absolutely it's thrilled. All that. unfamiliar territory for me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, shout to Scott Stewart who posed that sarcastic question about Jill Ellis. Uh, but yeah, soon enough, Piper might be on that radar. You know, with uh, how much mm-hmm. soccer is being watched in that household and talked about. So good I luck will to tell Piper. You, since she's been alive. Since she's been alive, she has uh, she has witnessed now one professional soccer match. She went to her first game this weekend in the 11 versus San Francisco Deltas. Uh, she was a little upset with the ending. I think a lot of people were, but I just want you guys to know that at less than three weeks old, she's already been to her first professional soccer game. 
<laughs> well, that is good to hear. We're hoping to indoctrinate her into the cult of soccer degenness. So hopefully for her sake, she actually likes the game, you know, cause like I, I have a little niece. Um, she played soccer one season and hated it. In fact, she barely could make it a full season. Uh, the last two games of the season, she threw a fit with her mom. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So, um, yeah, she hates the game, has no interest in playing it ever again. So hopefully Piper can uh, go down a, a, a different road. <laughs> We're, we'll figure it out. We'll, we will figure it out. So what do you want to talk about today? Obviously, I can talk about Piper a, a lot, but let's talk about the thing that we really came to, to get into today, and, and what do you think that might be? Probably our bread and butter, which would mm. have to be the Indianapolis 11. So nice. they're not doing – I hear right now they're reeling a little bit, Aaron. Um, oh, oh, oh. there's slightly, some lingo I'm familiar with. Yeah, slightly struggling right now. So fresh off a Saturday 2 to nothing home loss to the San Francisco Deltas, the Indy 11, their health is in tatters. Uh, it's an issue that's been ongoing for the entire year. Unfortunately, it's only gotten worse, not better, and they've actually reached a low point right now. So, Aaron – uh, you just came out with a great report on injuries for sock takes. You also talked to coach about the injuries. So do you just want to um, maybe start with some of the injuries and then delve into your recap of the ma- the Deltas match? Yeah, sure. We can do that. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're already a big fan of the team. And so you're well aware that the winning just hasn't been coming for Indy 11 this season. It's It's been difficult to get results at home. It's been difficult to, to get results away. And you, you look at the differences between last year with so much success and this year with with much less is injuries. Uh, the, the team has been dealing with a just a carousel is what I was calling it, a carousel of injuries. Players get on. Uh, the injury carousel, they get they get better and they, they get off and then they get right back on again. It just goes around and around and they're just never fully healthy. The best spell the team had all season was closing out the spring and there was a, a run of games, I think five in a row and five wins. And, and you look at what that was, what was that all about and why they were so successful. Well, everybody was healthy. Everybody was at... Coach Hankinson's disposal, you look at players like Don Smart, you look at players like Justin Braun, Craig Henderson, even Gerardo Torado, were all healthy and available and good to go. And so when Indy 11 is healthy and they have their their best 11 out there and they have their, their best subs on the bench ready to go, they can knock out some results. What's happening is what we were concerned about even before the season started. This roster is just kind of thin. It's not the same potency. It's not the same skill level. It's not the same experience or depth. When you have five, six injuries on this roster with Indy 11 as it stands, you're you're digging pretty deep. And congratulations to players like Adrian Abels who are making the best of it. But he is a rookie, a you know, first-year pro for Indy 11 and uh, out of DePaul University. And he, he really truthfully wasn't slated to get a lot of playing time this year. So now you have him coming off the bench instead of Craig Henderson, you know, who was a guy who was supposed to be getting the majority of that, you know, super sub minutes. Justin Braun is an injury that we were not excited to report about, but it is something that we have to talk about. Justin Braun is a motor. 
He is an emotional driver for the team. He is a physical driver for the team, leading in goals and assists. Even with the amount of time that he's missed due to a previous injury, even with all that time he's been off the pitch, he still led the team in, in a ton of heart and a ton of goals and assists. He is now out for the season. He has um, ankle issues. He has some ligament damage. And I think his current prognosis might be unknown, but he will not be returning in 2017. He's he's going to require some significant treatment. I think what the team was looking at was whether or not that treatment was going to be surgical or otherwise. But no matter what, he cannot put any weight on his ankle. And if you can't put weight on your ankle, you're not running. And if you're not running, you ain't playing soccer. So you look at a host of injuries that are plaguing this team. They plagued the team early and everybody got better. Five-game win streak. What happens? The team starts ticking back off those injuries. You have players like Sanisha Ubiparapovic who were dressed and on the bench and, and perhaps ready to go if it got desperate on Saturday. But when you look at the selection of subs that actually made it onto the field, was um, Sanisha wasn't really going to make it out onto the field. So uh, a player like him, he was on the exercise bike on Friday at training and any player that I've ever seen on the exercise bike in Friday training isn't isn't making the field. And the same thing is true when you're wearing tennis shoes. Uh, Daniel Keller, who is a player who has excelled for Indy 11 in the face of all these injuries, has finally succumbed to the injury bug. Daniel Keller, who can play a, diff- uh, a bunch of different positions. He actually can play midfield. He can play defense. He's played center back, left back. He's definitely played... Uh, central defensive midfield. He has come in and he's been the Swiss Army knife for Indy 11 and he's held things together when everything else was falling apart. He's finally taken his first injury uh, of the year and he was unavailable as well. So you look at the guy who wasn't expected to come in, who has come in and held it together like some chewing gum. You know, it's like we're using rubber bands, chewing gum, duct tape, whatever we can to hold this team together. And even he gets hurt. So it's just... It's it's a mountain to climb right now for Indy 11. But in spite of all that, you know, overall, the team is competing. They're just not getting results. They're not getting any points. And the playoffs are looking further and further away every passing week. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I did talk to Scott Stewart, communications director at Indy 11. And you're absolutely right about um, Sanisha Ubiparapovic. He was basically like an emergency fill-in. So... Indy 11 really only had two and a half healthy field players available <laughs> off the bench. Well, that's um, not even funny, but yes, that's a that's a correct assessment. Yeah, so if like, he had come in, it would have been if Sanisha would have had to have come in, it would have been pretty dire, and, and in a situation that already started out fairly dire. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the game itself. Um, in my opinion, Indy 11 came out flat. Um, which was kind of disappointing, you know, when you don't have much depth, you don't have a healthy bench, you don't have any numbers um, available, any guys to bring in situationally or whatever, you just have what you have and that's it. So when you're in that kind of back against the wall situation, you really need to come out strong, you know, try to build a lead. Uh, The last thing you want to do is get down. So I thought Indy 11 unfortunately came out a little flat and specifically the passing I thought was a little bit atrocious this game. It was probably one of the worst passing performances I've seen from this side in 2017. 
Uh, I know Marco Franco um, in my story for Indie Star. I mentioned how he had a couple uncharacteristically bad passes, which I felt was accurate. You know, he's normally very good, very good passer, efficient, gets up, um, holds down his defensive responsibilities. But he did kind of what he normally does. He got up the field, but a couple times once he got into the midfield, he had a couple bad giveaways that led to pretty dangerous Delta's counterattack. So. And it wasn't just Marco Franco. By no means am I trying to single him out. Um, I know Corey Miller, who actually played pretty well, I thought. He hadn't he hadn't played a single minute for Indy 11 yet this season after being a regular the past, what, year or two? So yeah. um, he just was added to the roster recently and got immediately, this is a quote from him, thrown into the fire, which is absolutely accurate. He, he was starting based on need after not having played a single minute all game. So... Considering that, I thought he played very well. He jokingly uh, told Napoon and I after the game that um, he was like, yeah, the first 12 passes, I just gave right to him. So he had a great sense of humor, um, was kind of embellishing his uh, his poor start. But yeah, he had a few um, bad giveaways early in the game. But I really thought Corey Miller settled in and played a pretty, pretty decent game. Um, I thought of all the people on the field, he probably was maybe in the top. I wouldn't say he was Indy 11 man of the match, but... I thought he probably turned in one of the best three or four performances of anyone on the pitch on Saturday. So um, what did you think of Corey Miller's performance, Aaron? And just what are some of your overall thoughts on the game? Well, first of all, welcome back, Corey Miller. He has fought hard. He has fought hard back from injury to get to where he is. You know, he wasn't signed with the team at the start of the season. He's been training with them all year long. It's not like he's... He's been playing video games. He has been on the field all year long and just recently got healthy enough to be looked at by the team. He cleared all his medicals, and he was signed just a few weeks ago. And even though he's new, he's not new. He's he's familiar with the players. So overall, I don't think chemistry should ever be an issue for a player like Corey Miller. It's just uh, game speed rust, and I think that's what we saw. Right. The, it's not that players didn't trust him. It's not that the coach didn't trust him. It's it's the game comes at you a lot faster when when it's on the line and when when it means something, it's for points. Corey Miller had some great tackles and I thought he was in a lot of good position. He doesn't have the awareness and the anticipation that you want at full speed yet. But I think that comes with time. It is late in the season. A lot of other players, especially you know, attacking players for deltas, have been has been training and going at players 100% for how many weeks now? You know, for five or six months now. So Corey Miller is now playing at 100% game speed. He was also asked to play a full 90 minutes, right? So uh, there's a lot to that. He did get beat a couple times just based on anticipation, and, and also I think Coach Hankinson. If you want to knock him at all, this is where you do it. Uh, Corey Miller was left out to do quite a bit of defending on his own. He was isolated and on an island, especially early in that first half. I think you saw adjustments in the second half. Nemanja Vukovic actually came back and played a little bit more team defense, which wasn't being asked of him in the first 45. But uh, Corey Miller stood his ground, stood tough, and, and truthfully, I thought played a great game considering all the factors involved, you you would like to get him worked in a little bit more slowly and you'd like to see him come in as a substitute a couple times like Coach Hankinson wants to do. But just like we talked about a little bit ago, with injuries, uh, with depth, 
And just with the fact that results have not been coming for Indy 11, you must, you must, if Corey Miller's ready, give him a shot and see what he can do, if, see if he can turn things around. His best asset is aerial defense. Corey Miller is great at tackling. Corey Miller is, is a, a good emotional player and, and somebody that you want on your team. But I think San Francisco Deltas are aware of this. And, and truthfully, you know, there weren't a lot of times when Miller was just in the middle of the box patrolling and knocking stuff out with his head. They wanted to keep things on the ground and they wanted to beat him with speed around the corners. That's when Deltas were most ex- uh, when Deltas were most effective against Corey Miller. So they might have had a little bit of scouting report on him and might have thought, you know, hey, this guy is an aerial beast. We all know it, and he will he will kill some people in the air. But if we set him up with a hesitation dribble, we can get around him no problem. And I think, I think that we saw that on Saturday. And if you missed the first part of the pod, we are recapping the Indy 11's 2-0 loss against the San Francisco Deltas at home at Carroll Stadium. I don't believe we went over the goal scores. It was a brace by Pablo Diego. The first one was on a header. Forgive me, I cannot remember who got the assist. I don't know if you do, Aaron. Um, no, I don't. Um, but it was someone who... God, I can't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, my boy Mikey Stevens. Michael Stevens, former Chicago Fire player. Um, very tricky Your midfielder. Boy. Your um, boy, yeah, I'm a I'm a Fairweather Fire fan. Uh, <laughs> I used to, um, as recently as 2015, uh, Michael Stevens was with the Fire, and I used to watch him. I was pretty impressed by him. He's not going to blow you away. He's not dynamic by any stretch of the word, but he's very good technically. Um, he's more of actually a holding midfielder based on need. He's been thrust in more of an offensive attacking position for the Deltas, I've noticed, pretty much throughout the year. I've seen him on the wing a lot. I think I've even seen him starting up top as a forward maybe once or twice, but it's not really uh, the ideal spot for his game. Uh, I don't know if Coach Mark Dos Santos just thinks that based on you know the roster he has in front of him, if that's the best spot for him, but... It's worked out. Um, this Delta's team has been overachieving all year. They've been surprising people. And Michael Stevens has had a hell of a year. He's been solid. Um, anyway, that's my tangent after I couldn't think of even who gave the assist. But so, yeah, Stevens, well. Stevens found a little bit of space on the right side. And then he played a ball in. Um, Pablo Diego went up, headed it home for the first goal. The second goal was an individual effort by Diego. He was isolated with not even open, but two maybe even a third defender nearby and he kind of split the defense um shredded up diced up two guys um got all the way down onto the end line and then cut in uh 1v1 on john bush with a terrible angle but a beautiful finish just that short um choppy chip you know when you just kind of wedge your foot into the ground um just the ball only got it was like a four foot chip it just got over the ball only got it was so so beautiful. Some people in FIFA can actually do this finish, but it's just the short ship, <laughs> four feet tall, right over the goalie's shoulder at point-blank range. It was a beautiful finish. So tip of the hat to the Deltas. You know, by no means are the Indy 11 injuries an excuse. This Deltas team has been a force all season, um, and that was a great road victory for them to pick up. So um, some of my other takeaways on the game is uh, I thought David Goldsmith maybe was man of the match for me. It's kind of hard to pick a man of the match because I didn't think anyone really played exceptionally well. But to reiterate the point I made earlier, when your back's against the wall due to lack of health, uh, lack of available bodies on the bench, you got to come out strong. And 
Indy 11 just came out flat. That was the most disappointing part of the match. And ironically, you know, when you have no subs, you would think that fitness could be an issue. Like, oh, if this game drags on late, you know, we're in trouble. But it was kind of uh, worked the opposite way, almost vice versa. So Indy came out flat. And when the second half started, they still didn't quite right the ship immediately. There was definitely a chunk of about 20 or 25 minutes. Um, I don't know exactly when. If I had to pinpoint it, I'd say it was maybe from minute 60 or so to about minute 85-ish. But Indy 11 definitely asserted themselves, showed a lot of resiliency, showed a lot of heart. And for that stretch of time, I really think that Indy 11 was the better side. They were fighting hard and, you know, they deserved the equalizer. They were working hard for it. David Goldsmith almost got it but was ruled off sides. He also almost scored earlier in the game on kind of a, a chip from distance that just floated over the goal. So if there was a man of the match to be named for the Indy 11, I thought it was Goldsmith. All in all, I was I was impressed by the late rally by Indy 11, but um, Diego's second goal, the final nail in the coffin, came in the 80-something minute, which kind of was the nail in the coffin. So even though Indy 11 showed a lot of heart and rallied, it was definitely disappointing just to see that 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 late dagger just dash all their hopes. Um, and there's really not much else to say about the future of this Indy 11 side. I mean, they've got to get, you know, it's looking like it's not necessarily confirmed as we've talked about Aaron, but it's kind of looking like Justin Braun's out for the year. Um, if you're a baseball fan, we'll call it like a Kyle Schwarber situation going on here. Um, if you're not familiar with that, Kyle Schwarber, he was basically quote unquote ruled out for the year last year. But what do you know? Once when your team makes the World Series, you know, that's several extra weeks you weren't playing, you know. So the Cubs kept winning the playoffs. Sure enough, uh, World Series time and Kyle Schwarber. Oh, he's approved uh, for BP batting practice. And next thing you know, hey, let's get this guy back in the lineup, um, especially when the designated hitter is available. So um, maybe that's the situation with Braun. If somehow miraculously Indy 11 made a playoff run, um, got their ish together, so to speak, uh, made a playoff run, you know, maybe Braun by then, who knows, uh, could get cleared for brief cameos off the bench or something. But for all intents and purposes, although we can't confirm it, we're treating the situation like Justin Braun is out for the year, unfortunately. So it's tough to really predict. What I'm trying to say, sweet baby, is... Can you give me any reason why an Indy 11 supporter should have optimism? It's so hard to find some right now, but give us something. Give us something to be optimistic about for this team. <laughs> well, you you want some silver lining. I, I've given you a little snippet of it. I will give you some more of it. One of the things we've been, uh, all three of us, and I, I include Nipun here, and I'll speak for him because whatever. Uh, we wanted more development. We wanted more young players, more youthful youthful exuberance in the NASL. You know, Indy 11 is a is an older team. NASL is an older league. We now get to see some some young players develop right before our eyes, you know, kind of like Dylan Mares a few years ago. I mean, Dylan Mares came into an Indy 11 team and was placed right in to the thick of it and got a lot of minutes early, maybe before he was ready. He wasn't even my favorite player in year one, but all that experience gave him the maturity he needed to develop into uh, a cutthroat uh, dynamo in the NASL. So we have opportunities now with David Goldsmith. We have opportunities now with Tanner Thompson, 
who showed some guts and some heart in this game. I mean, you don't want to always look for moral victories and silver linings because, you know, that gets old and we all know what we're trying to do. But Tanner Thompson took a knock and fought it off, didn't even want to go down. And and his teammates were yelling at him to go down. Everybody in the stands near me was yelling at Tanner Thompson, get down so we can get you out and we can get somebody else in. And he shook it off and he shrugged it off and he kept hopping around on one leg, went over, talked to Coach Hankinson. He spoke to Coach Hankinson in the middle of the match. Hankinson was already warming up Abel's and then Hank waved off Abel's. And he, Tanner Thompson walked around with one wheel for, what, five minutes it felt like. So we get to see players develop that we would not have seen. Tanner Thompson is not a player, even though he started in the first match, who was really in a preferred 11, you know, midway through the season. The same thing with David Goldsmith. Justin Braun's what you're calling unconfirmed. <laughs> what you're calling unconfirmed, I'm calling it pretty near. Yeah. We can, we can yeah. goof around with that. Anyway, 99.9 percentile. <laughs> listen, I haven't spoken with Justin specifically but I have spoken with the number of people. It's a, it's really about can you put weight on it and can you get going and can you start running right now? He can't. But anyway, back to Indy 11. I, I gave you your sil- silver lining. We have a chance to see players like David Goldsmith and Tanner Thompson who might turn into a Dylan Mares a year or two from now. Hopefully they get to prove themselves in in the remaining you know month of, or two. Actually, it's two months. Remaining two months of this season and earn a place on a roster for... 2018 for me the the bright spots come in 2018 they don't come in 2017 indy 11 has taken one point out of their last five matches that's that's not enough to do anything what's crazy what's absolutely mind-blowing is that technically they're only six points out of a playoff spot right now new york cosmos sitting in the fourth and final spot with 30 points indy 11 has 24 points I don't see how they turn it around and start closing the gap on any of these teams, even though, you know, as we talked about, New York Cosmos really aren't having that great of a stretch. Three points, that's three draws in the last five matches for them, but still three draws. That's three results in the last five matches. Indy 11, one result. It's just, it's not enough. And with their health issues, you know, I don't, the playoff run isn't going to happen even if it did it wouldn't be enough time for people to recover the playoffs and the NESL I'll remind you are just two short weeks. You get that bonus week and, and then the final is, is a week later. So I don't know. Did I, did I lose you? Um, no, I thought, I think we just glitched out there for a second, but yeah, I hear you now. Okay. So we're, we're on it. We're talking about in the 11 and things to be excited about. You saw players like Gerardo Torado, giving everything that he can. He was exhausted at the end of the match. I don't know if exhaustion or fitness really played a factor as to why Indy didn't get on the board. Um, I don't necessarily think that was an issue, but you looked at the end of the game and there were quite a few players, Ben Spees as well, who just kind of sat down or put their hands on their knees because they were giving it everything. They did empty the tank. And the one other thing I'll say as as an interesting part of the game obviously there was a goal that was called back from for offsides it was Eamon Zayed and uh, David Goldsmith linked up Eamon Zayed received the ball excellent hold up play his play was pretty solid actually and in the absence of Justin Braun he's being asked to play a more hold up role and he had four defenders looking right at him maybe asking for his autograph or who knows what they were doing but 
Amon Zayed plays a perfectly weighted ball and perfectly timed ball to David Goldsmith. It was a through ball, threaded amazingly. David got on the end of it, beat the defender, and got around the goalie and slotted home a goal that was waved back because of offside. I, I will tell you, I went back and watched that replay more than 10 times. It was, it was at best, it was a close call, but I don't think you can give that to the defense. I think David Goldsmith was on, and I think he was robbed. And that was in the 70th minute. If at 1-0 down, Indy 11 equalizes in the 70th minute, and they, they level 1-1 in the 70th, I think it's a whole different game. I'm not saying they win, but I'm saying they get a different emotional lift, and it's much better, obviously, to level 1-1 and be moving forward into the game than to, you know, just a few minutes later, give up the second, go down 0-2. I, I, they obviously weren't going to recover then, and I don't know if they did mentally when that, when that goal from David Goldsmith was called back. Obviously, things can go a lot of different ways. Obviously, we don't have instant replay in this league, and, and I don't know if, if you can get it. But there have been more than seven chances or more than seven instances this season that I've seen where offsides calls are just they're just so brutal. They're devastating, and that, that momentum shift would have been amazing. It would have been an amazing lift for Indy 11 at that time. They didn't get it, and um, Indy 11 ended up losing the game. Absolutely agree with you on that on that last point, especially, you know, we're not homers here. We're we try to be at least impartial journalists, but definitely agree that Indy 11 has been on the raw end of several offsides calls this season. I don't know what it is, but several times uh, at least a handful of goals have been taken away from offsides and other opportunities where the whistle was blown offsides where maybe had the, the player shot would have been a goal. But just one of those years, you know, when you have injuries and then all the bad luck against you, it's just... It's a complete 180 from 2016, unfortunately, for this squad. But, you know, hopefully greener pastures um, exist somewhere, if not this year, hopefully 2018. But Yeah, I try not to be a homer. I mean, but <laughs> but I'm honest about it. I'm telling you, um, you know, Baby Piper wasn't ready for the Brickyard Battalion. So <laughs> we sat on the sideline, and I will tell you, I was right in line with that offside call. And... Piper was upset. I was upset. We were she was startled uh, at that moment. She started crying because the refereeing was so atrocious. I'm with you. That would have been an equalizer by Goldsmith, and that changes the you know the whole complexion of the game. You know, um, yeah. who knows what happens after that when it's one one with just what ten or so minutes to play, twenty minutes to play. Yeah, it would have been twenty minutes left plus stoppage time. I mean, things things obviously would have been entirely different. We'll never know. We yeah. will never know, but right now, um, not telling the players to stop playing, but you're looking at a season where let's get everybody to the finish line as healthy as possible, and let's get some players re-signed, and let's keep on developing young players like Tanner Thompson and David Goldsmith and, and bring on more Adrian Abels. No reason not to see him at this point. No, no reason for me, uh, if I'm anywhere near the Indy 11 front office. There's no reason for me to be wasting any minutes on trying to get Sanisha Ubiparabovic back to fitness. No reason for me trying to rush a player like, you know, Craig Henderson back on ahead. Uh, you see, you see these young guys, they need a chance to excel and, and we need a reason to be relevant, you know, with, with the NASL. And I think developing a new generation is where you start. And I, and I bring back that Dylan Mares thing. I mean, I'm serious. This guy 
Um, he's come a long way since his first season, and it's all because he was given the minutes to perform. Absolutely. So moving on, we've still got plenty more local soccer to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit of Butler University men's and women's soccer, as well as the 2017 Mayor's International Futsal Cup, a local futsal tournament going on in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. But, of course, Aaron, not all of our listeners are local Hoosiers. So uh, we don't want to bore some of our listeners with only Indiana soccer coverage. So let's segue over to some Twitter questions about USMNT and talk about how the World Cup qualifying is going for the USA. Not too well, if you've been watching. Did you watch Uh, that game? Did Did you see that game? Unfortunately, I missed the game, believe it or not. I had family obligations to handle, but um, I've read about it, and I've formed some opinions about it, and I'm prepared to answer some questions and pretend as though I did I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I had no idea. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so I didn't watch the game, um, but we'll get straight to the Twitter questions. First one is from, we've been saying this guy's name a lot. He's a good friend of the program, Scott Stewart, working in the front office of Indy 11. Hey, Scott. He asks, how much tiptoeing does the U.S. have to do slash should do with a talent as young as Pulisic in terms of hype? So before I kick it to you, Aaron, I'll uh, handle this one. It's a very good question by Scott. And to be honest, my answer you know, I don't want to give a, a generic answer, but I'm going to say no tiptoeing, zero tiptoeing. I really think this kid, he's not just special on the pitch, okay? Christian Pulisic, it's not just the skills. This kid is the total package. He's not a head case off the pitch. Um, he's not going to go on a bender and, you know, blow his contract on gambling and pick up all these drug addictions or anything or go I off would. the rails. And he's not, you know, you're not going to find him, you know, uh, drunk, shitting himself in an alley somewhere. <laughs> this kid, this kid is seriously so mature I beyond would. his years. Yeah. And I don't believe that he needs uh, not one iota of coddling whatsoever. So as far as like uh, putting, as far as dampening the hype, I don't feel it's necessary at all. I think uh, this kid can be hyped as much as we want to, you know, as much hype as the media um, his teammates and the country, whoever puts on this kid, he can handle it. I really think that, and I don't think that we need to tiptoe uh, with with the hype regarding uh, Pulisic at all. I think this kid is just special in every regard, on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, mentally, physically. Uh, his maturity level is that of someone who's washed up. You know, he, he might as well be John Bush. He might as well be 40 years old. This, this kid's so mature, so... I don't think this kid needs any training wheels, no coddling. I absolutely think that he is just the real deal, and there is nothing that Christian Pulisic cannot handle. Uh, What's your take on that, sweet baby? I think that the strategy or or whatever the game plan is right now is working, and I don't think that you reinvent anything. I think you bring him along like you've been doing, keep introducing him to the team and to the media the same way you've been doing. I don't think he's ready to be the face of United States soccer. 
I think he is obviously the future. There is no question he has special skills that that we wish we saw more of. I mean, you know, we can joke about it. What lineup would you like to see? You'd like to see 10 Christian Pulisics out there. You, you would like nothing more than that. I think right now, though, the face of U.S. men's national team is kind of uh, Michael Bradley, and I think it's earned. He's the captain, and he's level-headed, and he gives good, great. He gives good and great. <laughs> he gives great post-game interviews. He's very introspective, and, and he provides the face and the cover that the team needs. He, he gives you honest answers. He, he provides the insight that's needed. You stay with Michael Bradley as, as your face, right? You know, If you have to put somebody on the cover of FIFA for U.S. men's national team, I think it's still Michael Bradley. But you look forward ahead. You look ahead two, three years from now. I mean, Christian Pulisic is only 18, right? He's going to be 19 in just a little bit. It's it's only a matter of time until he does take over the reins as just the go-to guy and, and the one that everybody wants to hear the opinion of. Um, how much tiptoeing does the United States need to do or, sh- or should they do? Just keep doing what you're doing. I think that the hype train is building itself. I think I go everywhere in this country. I've seen Christian Pulisic jerseys. I've seen them in the U.S. men's national team, and I've seen them in Dortmund jerseys. The kid is exciting, and everybody's excited about him. I think a lot of people have some good, honest expectations for where he should be at this point, and he's exceeded all of them. So keep our fingers crossed. And, and maybe, you know, he will turn out to be one of the most special players in the world. He's definitely he's definitely the future. And what that brings us to uh, our next question from John Kaluter, of course, who used to have Scott Stewart's exact job. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know uh, what's in the water with these Indy 11 public relations guys, but uh, apparently they're uh, huge fans of the Sock Take Spot tonight. So we thank you, fellas, for the questions and... Mr. John Kaluter, friend of the program, asks, regarding the USMNT on Friday, was that an aberration or is it time to mash the panic button? And he also left his own opinion, which is, I say the former, which was aberration. So our good friend John Kaluter thinks that the USMNT's struggle against Costa Rica was an aberration and asks, is it time to mash the panic button, though? So, sweet baby, let, let me kick it over to you first for this one. Hey, thanks, buddy. First of all, uh, I'm a big fan of John Kluter, just in general. He's got a sweet, sweet, silky smooth voice, kind of like yours, really. <laughs> he brings up a good point. You know, we're a solid way in through World Cup qualifying, and, you know, Russia 2018 is on the line. Do we need to be worried about the team that Bruce Arena has put together or the, or the performances the team has strung together? I don't think we need to be worried, and here's why. The, the problems really came out of the back. I mean, if you have a different defensive back four, I think I think that that entire game plays out differently. Where was where was John Brooks? Well, he's he's the center back that needs to be in the game for me. Where is uh, DeAndre Yedlin? He is a right back that needs to be in the game for me. Tim Ream, obviously, for whatever reason, wasn't ready mentally for this game. He he had quite a few mistakes. It's actually similar. I feel like there are parallels between uh, the Indy 11 Deltas game and the USA Costa Rica game. You look at a team that actually had a lot of possession and had a lot of the dangerous moments, but just a, a couple counters were all it took to completely um, sway the tide and, and change the outcome of the game. I think the U.S. men's national team 
is better than a lot of the other teams in the hex. So with a few games remaining, they can take some points and they can they can get that whatever it is that they need to get. I don't know mathematically how many wins and, and draws they need to get, but listen, the way the World Cup qualifying is set up for CONCACAF, I've looked at those rules before. They're pretty favorable for the United States and for Mexico. There's almost no reason that both of those nations should not make it. I know Mexico was pretty close to not making it in the last cycle, but I'm not that worried. I don't think you need to press the panic button. I do think you need to put your best team out there. I don't think that they did. I think that there was, for whatever reason, Clint Dempsey not starting in a game that was mandatory for him to start. I don't think you'll see Bruce Arena roll the dice in the next game, which is tomorrow or today. It depends on whenever you're listening to this. Um, absolutely, the United States needs to take all the points remaining they can on, on Tuesday, so they need to win. Absolutely. But it's if they lose tomorrow, then I think panic button and just mash the crap out of it. I mean, just light the thing on fire, throw it out the window or whatever you need to do with it. But, um, yeah, what do you think? I think I think that uh, tomorrow, if the USA loses, obviously the panic button probably needs to be pressed then. However, I do agree with John. I don't think it's time to panic right now. And I'm ready to consider the, the performance an aberration. Um, like I said earlier, I confessed I did not watch the game. But by all accounts from what I read, uh, Tim Howard did not necessarily have one of his better performances. And it sounded like the Costa Rica keeper kind of stood on his head a little bit, came up big. So, yeah, I'm definitely not ready to panic. Um, I do think that Bruce Arena, in situations like this, the best thing you can do this applies at any level of any sport from, uh, you know, seven-year-olds on up to professional level. And that is when your back's against the wall, do not overcomplicate things. Do not overthink the game and do not get cute. You know, you still want to just um, go out with your best 11 in the formation that your guys were in most in practice. You know, so your most comfortable formation with your best 11, you know. And sometimes it's hard to do that because you know what? Maybe you did that the last game and you got your ass kicked, you know, maybe you did that the previous game and you got your ass kicked. But a lot of the times, you know, that's just variance. You know, you got to stay the course. If you keep doing something and it fails for several, several times in a row, then obviously it's a problem. It needs to be fixed, but you cannot have knee jerk reactions to the short term. So yeah, I think uh, I Bruce Arena that. just kind of needs to stay the course. Keep play your simple. best team. Yeah. Play your best team. And just sit back and get a result. You know, you just, you cannot panic. You cannot try to throw in the switcheroo and do some, some crazy formation that Klinsman would pull out that the team never played in practice or whatever. So just keep things simple. Don't panic. And hopefully this USMNT squad will be all right. So moving right on, let's switch back to some local soccer before we let you guys get out of here. So... If you haven't noticed, at Sock Takes, we've been trying to kind of endear ourselves to the Butler fan base. And we try to cover soccer globally. We try to cover soccer nationally. But our bread and butter is right here, you know, in the Hoosier State. So we try to cover, we try to go hard on the central Indiana area. And we're doing the best we can to kind of come out swinging and really cover this Butler men's and women's both uh, soccer club. So. I've had a chance to be in the press box for several games so far this year. And I've been impressed by what I've seen. Uh, both the men's and women's side are off to very good starts. Um, the women currently are sitting at 
three one one and or sorry the the women are at four one and one. They started the season with three straight road games, very tough schedule. One of those road matches was against a ranked Notre Dame squad, and they pulled out a draw. So after those three grueling road matches, they were fortunate enough to get three home matches in a row at the Selleck Bowl and have strung together a four-game winning streak. So the Butler Bulldogs women's team currently sits at 4-1-1. One, and one. They just yesterday beat Cleveland State 1-0 for the fourth, fourth consecutive win in a row. And um, before I switch over and talk about the men's team, just one player I want to talk about real quick that I've been impressed with is Paige Monahan. She was a member of the Big East uh, preseason all-conference team. She's listed as a forward on the official team roster. And I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe she mostly played as a pure forward last season. But they're trying an experiment this year. It's been very effective. It's very good. What they're doing is they're only playing three in the back. And they don't even really have true wing backs. It's a true back three. They're playing a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, it almost kind of plays like a 3-6-1 I wrote about. Um, and what they have is they have um, Holly Stelbaski up top as a target striker. And then they have two other forwards who kind of have a little more commitment to drop back in the midfield. And then Paige Monahan, who, as I said, was listed as a forward, has been moved to a pure right midfield role. And I said they don't really have true wingbacks. And the reason for that is Paige Monahan has been very impressive with her two-way play. Um, someone with that had played as a pure forward, you would think, oh, maybe they don't have the defensive instincts or the commitment you know, to really understand what it takes to get back on the other side of the ball. But this transition has gone absolutely seamlessly. And Butler just looks even better since they made this change. So they threw the best player out at right midfield and she's all over the field. She's still as involved in the attack as a forward. So has no hesitation about getting forward or playing up top and, you know, attacking, getting in the box, um, getting toward the corner flag. But as soon as the ball is lost or a goal kick's given up or whatever, she sprints back and is basically playing as a wing back. So very impressed with Paige Monahan. Um, she's going from, you know, a, pre, a, a pure offensive talent to an absolutely complete player. Very impressed with her commitment to the defensive side of the ball. And it's just, she's only a junior. So it, it's interesting to see, you know, what she'll be as good as she is now, all the things she's doing. How good will she be at the end of this year? How good will she be as a senior next year? So this Butler women's team was only picked sixth to finish sixth in the Big East. And from what I have seen, I believe that they can beat that. So I'm a little optimistic. Um, I'm bullish on the Butler women. I'm buying stock in the Butler women. And I think they're going to be a contender in the Big East. I think they're a force to be reckoned with. And it's not just Paige Monahan. I'm sure on our next pod, I'll talk about several other players. Um, in fact, my most recent piece on the Butler women, I talked about how I was super impressed with the center defensive midfield pairing of Madison Toth and Brenna Pawlikowski. Those two players are upperclassmen. One's a junior, one's a senior. They're absolutely carrying this uh, Butler team too, doing all the dirty work in the middle third of the pitch. So, but yeah, I'm sure as the season goes on, um, I'll talk about pretty much all the players on the team, but so far, totally impressed by the Butler women. And equally with the Butler men, Unfortunately, they suffered a terrible loss this week. They lost midfielder Jared Timmer, 
who was one of their rocks last season. He's one of their best midfielders. Uh, he's a holding uh, central midfielder guy that kind of does everything for him. And I'll tell you what, that was it was so incredibly gr- gruesome to watch. I was watching the game live. This guy went down in the pitch, was grabbing his leg, and he was screaming. You could hear it because, you know, there weren't thousands of people in the stands. You could hear it on the stream. He was screaming in pain on the pitch. So it was one of those, as soon as that happened, everyone was like, man, this guy's out for the year. So unfortunately, um, that is confirmed. He broke his leg. He's facing a six-month recovery. So here at Soctex, we'd like to wish all the best to Jared Timmer. Hopefully he'll be back next year as healthy as ever. But yeah, that was gruesome to watch. Huge loss for the Bulldogs. But you know what? When guys get injured, other people step up. And that's what's happened for this Bulldogs team. They are now 3-1. and one. Their lone loss was to a ranked top 10 Louisville team that is very dangerous. I actually got to see them live uh, earlier um, in exhibition play against Indiana University and was impressed by them. So... The Bulldogs, three wins, one loss to a top 10 team. And most recently, uh, just like the women, they played yesterday at a tournament in Bloomington. And they pulled out a 3-2 win. They jumped out early, 2 to nothing. Unfortunately, they gave that lead away. Uh, two goals after the 80th minute. They gave up two goals to the University of San Francisco to tie the game 2-2. But immediately responded a minute after the second San Francisco Dons goal. They responded with a goal um, to to seal the victory 3-2. to two. So I'm super impressed by uh, both Butler men and women's. And the Butler men, by the way, they were playing in Bloomington. It was the Adidas slash IU Credit Union Classic. And which Indiana University, which we also cover here at Sock Takes, they ended up winning the tournament. And... There were several standout performers for the Hoosiers and the Bulldogs. Uh, Really quickly, I'll name off the all-tournament performers. For Butler, it was midfielders Lewis Suttick and Eric Leonard made the all-tournament team. And forward Brandon Goal, who had a brace yesterday. He scored uh, the first two goals to put Butler up 2-0. And for the Indiana Hoosiers... They put several people on the all-tournament team. Uh, Rashad Hyenseth, Grant Lillard, Timmy Mel, Francisco Moore. And as a matter of fact, Lillard was named the Outstanding Defensive Player. And Hyenseth won the Outstanding Offensive Player honor. So I'll stop boring you to death about college soccer. But, you know, we're really excited about our partnership with Butler Soccer and also, we're really looking forward to covering Indiana Hoosiers soccer for the rest of the season. So I've been super impressed with what I've seen. Uh, both of these men's and women's Butler teams only have one loss. And I'm just super excited to see what these guys can do and where they're going to be at the end of the year. I know the Butler men with the loss of Timmer, they might kind of struggle to match expectations after winning the Big East last year. But the women, you know, they were only predicted to finish six in the preseason, and I feel like they're better than that. So excited to see what these two clubs can do. And moving on, before we let you go, one last thing we want to talk about is futsal. If there are any futsal enthusiasts that listen to our pod, there's a very, very fun and interesting futsal tournament that goes takes place in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. It's the Mayor's International Futsal Cup. 
And I am pleased to report that Bahrain won their second consecutive title in the Mayor's International Futsal Cup with a 3-1 to victory over Mexico. I was fortunate enough. I've been downtown the last three days. The tournament started on Saturday morning. Um, they cut off a little early, like 5 p.m., so that the participants could go support the Indy 11 at Carroll Stadium. And then Sunday, they went all day, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., nonstop grind. And today, they picked up a little early, like 9 a.m., and the women's final was 3.30-ish, I believe, and the men's final was at 4.30. So, um, but yeah, it's a very fun event. If you missed the boat this year, or if you're not familiar with the tournament and you live in the central Indiana area, I really, really highly recommend that you get out and check it out in 2018. Um, shout out to Justin Becht. He's the director of Indiana Futsal and kind of the main event organizer. This guy puts in so many countless hours along with several other people. I can't name them all, but I don't want to sell them short. But so many people are working hard behind the scenes to put this event on. It's a remarkable event. It's a great get for Indy. Um, at the opening ceremony, the mayor of Indianapolis, Joe Hogsett's out there. The Indy 11 owner, Ursaul Osdemer, is out there. It's just a great event. It's fun. It's free. Anyone can just walk up off the street and start watching. It's an amazing event. And before we let you get out of here, I just want to shout out to the, the top four finishers. It was Mexico versus Iran and Bahrain versus Honduras in the two semifinals. Uh, of course, Mexico defeated Iran. Bahrain defeated Honduras, which set up the final between Bahrain and Mexico. And Bahrain pulled out the 3-1 to one win. Um, like I said, Bahrain, I've got an interesting story that you can read on SockTakes.com. It's in the works. It'll probably be up sometime tomorrow. But basically, this Bahrain team, these guys play futsal collegiately over in Bahrain. Um, I don't know if they're still all in college playing or if they used to play together and they still do in some type of semi-pro league. But these guys reached out to the tournament director, Justin Becht, about registering for the tournament, you know, um, half half a globe away, literally ha halfway around the world. And they, they told Justin Becht, they were kind of, I guess, sarcastically joking, but also cocky. And they're like, we're going to win this thing. We're, we're going to come there and win this. So um, Justin Beck told me that he was kind of like, ha, ha, Bahrain, you know, yeah, right. There, there's all these good players. There are, in fact, the USA team, there were semi-pro players like uh, Jeffrey McClure, who played for Indy 11 in PSL. He also was a trialist for the Indy 11 in preseason. Chris Way, who also on the, in the inaugural Indy 11 season, he was kind of a quote-unquote walk-on. He was, he made the roster. I don't think he received too many minutes, but... He made the inaugural Indy 11 roster. So you got several guys for Team USA that are semi-professional slash professional level players and they still couldn't make the final. So there's a lot of and a lot of that was due to the differences in the game. You know, had you put it 11 v 11 on an outdoor field, Team USA might have ran away with this thing. But a lot of the teams are just very futsal specific. They train you around and focus on futsal. That's kind of what Bahrain does. So. As I was saying, they, they, they kind of pulled a Babe Ruth, called their shot, told the tournament director, Justin Becht, that they were going to win this thing. And that was in 2016. Sure enough, they won it in 2016, came back again this year, backed up their talk once again, and that's back-to-back -back titles for Bahrain. So I urge you all to come out in 2018 to support this event. It is just a fabulous event with so many people working hard behind the scenes. 
and it is just so relaxing, you know, just to go out. You know, it's it's in an urban environment, so you got all these, you know, buildings behind it. It's in a makeshift parking lot with futsal courts set up with this rubbery like surface. And it's just a wonderful event. Thrilled to be a part of it. Thrilled to cover it for Sock Takes. And just want to thank Justin Beck for putting it on. Also for reaching out to me um, independently, hoping that, you know, I could give some coverage via IndyStar or Sock Takes. And I was absolutely happy to do so. So anyway, I've been rambling on for probably 10 minutes or so. So sweet baby, uh, please help me out here. You got any final thoughts on... The Indy 11, Butler Soccer, USMNT, or the Mayor's International Futsal Cup. Give us your final thoughts. Well, my final thought is just basically a shout out to you, KJ. I mean, you are, are Mr. Indiana Soccer right now, and you're you're doing your thing, and, and your, your Sock Takes brand is just everywhere right now, and, and covering a plethora of different events. I mean, the Mayor's Futsal Cup is a beautiful <clears throat> tournament. It's professionally set up with professional futsal courts. It's not just duct tape on a concrete surface. These are actually professional grade sport courts uh, designed for this tournament specifically. I know they're owned by the the tournament itself, and they were set up in the in the shadow of the Indiana State Capitol building. I mean, it's just a beautiful tournament. You were there, obviously. You can tell a lot about that. And Butler soccer is something that's just fascinating and, and fantastic to watch. It's so close to home. They're doing they're doing so great. Both programs, men's and women's, Sock Takes is covering it all, and it's all thanks to you. So congratulations to Sock Takes and to you, KJ. And I know I'm kissing up to you, but um, this is fantastic <laughs> stuff. This is just this is just really exciting. What a world we live in. You know, it's like, is it the golden age of soccer or what? I mean, somebody should write an article about that. I think there was. You can find that on SockTakes.com. Uh, we have a, an interview, I think, with Tony Miola. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Shout out to uh, Jeff Coons, our Omaha-based SockTakes correspondent. He had a great Q&A with former USMNT goalkeeper Tony Miola, who we don't need to tell you about this guy. You probably heard of him. Even if yeah. you're an NFL fan, he actually tried out for the New York Jets and um, tried to be a place kicker in the NFL. Um, <laughs> fell short, That's but... funny too, but yeah, the point is, the point is, what a great day and age to be covering soccer in in America. I mean, it's it's just fantastic, and and you're killing it. You're killing the game, KJ. I want to end it here. I don't think we have anything left to talk about. Let's wish everybody well in the coming week and in the competitions and getting stuff done. And we'll see people out there on the Twitter. Where can people find you? You can find me at KJ Boxing. And Aaron, where can the people find you? I'm on the Twitter, man. You can find me at A Gunyon. At A Gunyon. And uh, hopefully Piper. Piper will get that her own Twitter handle soon. We should come <laughs> up with a hashtag for her. She doesn't have a Twitter handle. You know, there's so many things to think about. I haven't at, thought about the, the social media rules, but we're about, not going to bore the at people Piper, with that. At Piper Designated Player. At Piper DP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be pretty good. It's hey, got a nice I ring wanna, to it. I want to thank you for uh, potting with me. It's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to the people who provided questions on Twitter and, and wanted to participate. You know, I, I think Scott Stewart and John Kaluter were just trying to keep us from ranting about Indy 11 for too long. That's why they threw yeah. us off with the USMNT questions. But yeah. happy to do it because I'm a big fan of the, the national team as well. All right, well, this has been episode 29 of the Sock Takes Pod. 
We will be back with another episode later this week, so stay tuned for that, and good night.